Amen. Well, you can go ahead and grab a seat and uh, go ahead and grab your Bible. Uh, you can get that out. We're going to turn our attention to God's Word now, and uh, you can open up to the book of Psalms. We're going to be in Psalm uh, 139 uh, this morning. As you're turning there, I just want to say uh, thank you to uh, Jeff Franklin for preaching last week. If you were with us last week, we wrapped up our series uh, called Living Hope, where we were going through the letters of First and Second Thessalonians, and uh, he did a fantastic job. I uh, listened to that on our uh, drive back and was able to um, catch that and was so encouraged uh, just to hear the way that he wrapped that up in, in um, what can be, I would say, even a kind of tricky passage, uh, but thought he did a great job with it and was just uh, thankful for that. Hopefully you were blessed by that. Well, today we are going to begin a new series that is going to uh, be in the Psalms and it's going to take us through June and uh, most of, if not all, of July. And we're going to be calling it Promises. What we want to do is we're going to be studying some of the promises of who God is as seen in the book of Psalms. And, uh, you know, one of the questions that you might ask as we kind of look at this, like, why, why do we need this? Why, why this series on promises of who God is right now? Well, if you find yourself this morning in a hard place, uh, a difficult place, and, um, uh, you know, you're, things are not uh, easy, things are not going well for you, um, things are, are, are hard, uh, then you probably don't need me to answer that question for you. You know exactly why we need a series like this, looking at the character and promises of who God is. But you might be this morning not in that spot. You might be in a good spot, and you might be in the place that um, things are going well and everything is okay. And uh, if you were to describe um, your, you know, your life right now, put it on a scale, you'd, you'd give it a seven or an eight, you know, maybe not a 10, but, but it's okay. And I think those are the times when you ask that question of, of why do we need this? It may not feel as applicable right now. But let me just kind of explain it this way. A um, couple of, uh, several years ago, uh, my wife and I, when we were, um, we had the opportunity to go on a um, bit of a unique cruise. Um, we, uh, for our 10-year anniversary, although it was actually year 11 that we finally made it happen, uh, we went over to, we were in Greece and Turkey, and we were on this sailing yacht on the Aegean Sea. And so we got the opportunity, I think there's a picture of it um, here. Uh, yeah, we got the opportunity to just travel around and see a lot of um, places from sort of the footsteps of Paul. Uh, we started in Istanbul and then went back and forth between Greece and Turkey. And uh, we got to, as I said, visit Thessalonica as we were going through that. I've been there. This picture is taken from um, the, on the island of Patmos. Um, this is where uh, John was exiled. Um, not a bad place to be exiled, although the town and all that stuff wasn't there. So um, it was way less um, exciting and fun for him. But that is our ship down there that you can see in the harbor. Um, it was kind of this full-on like pirate-type ship. I mean, it had sails and everything. It wasn't a very, it's not a very big ship. You, you really feel it when you're on it. But we were on this thing for um, the better part of, uh, I think, 10 or 11 days or something like that. But if you've been on a ship, I don't know if this is, I think this is something that you do maybe on all of them. I'm not sure. But certainly on this one, uh, when the very first day, uh, we all had to get our life jackets and we had to gather kind of in that main uh, gathering area, and they had to give instructions for what would happen if um, the ship sort of run aground or, you know, started to uh, take on water or whatever. And so here's a picture of Bree and I um, in our uh, life jackets. Of course, when you're gathering and you have your life jacket on, you, you stop to take a selfie. Um, but this is, uh, this is us with our, our life jackets on. Now, here's the thing about that moment is it felt like kind of, you know, sort of silly, Right, we're all there with our life jackets on, and everyone's kind of making jokes, and and um, you know this wasn't an optional thing, as the uh, um, uh, Ukrainian captain, ship captain, said. He's like, this is compulsory. Like, you have to be here, right? You gotta, you gotta come and and be a part of this. And um, you know, I think sometimes we treat and we look at the promises of God sort of like these life jackets, where in that moment it didn't seem all that useful, all that helpful, um, sort of nice to know, like it's a good experience, good to know where it is, um, but not necessarily life-altering, life-changing, unless or until something happens to the ship, right? Then that is very vital, crucial information that you want to know. 
You, you don't want at that point in time to be searching and looking and scrambling for the life jacket. You don't want to know where is the ship? Where's the, how do I get off this thing? What's the procedure? At that moment, when trouble strikes, you want to know where to go, what to do, and exactly how it should all go down. And that is how we need to be with the promises of God. Certainly, if you find yourself in a tough place, you find yourself in, in a spot of um, discouragement, of despair, of searching, then you might be. You might be longing and looking and, and searching desperately for these promises of God, but hopefully you've got them down and you've got them in place. You're ready for when that storm comes, when the tough times come. And so if it is, if you are in a place where it feels like it's disconnected from where you're at, I would just say this, is that the truth of who God is needs to be our reality at all times, in the good times and the bad. And we need to be um, aware of who he is and ready um, to rely and, and look to him in those times. And so as we dig into this series, I would say this, that the truth of who God is has been shared with us in a very personal way. Uh, God, throughout his scripture, has revealed himself to us. It's fitting and appropriate on today, a day of Father's Day, that we remember that God, it was God who revealed himself as Father. God is our heavenly Father, and he has shown himself to be that way. And so with the promises, you have to sort of search for them a bit. You have to mine from them. They're all over the place, but they're spread throughout scriptures. And so what we're going to do in this series is we're going to mine the Psalms for these promises, and we're going to look at and hold on to each one of them. Because God has given us some very great promises. You know, 1 Peter Rather, sorry, 2 Peter uh, chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, it says this, that his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he granted to us his precious and very great promises. You know that God in his glory and his, in his excellence has given to us as his children his very great and precious promises. And the thing that we know and understand about God and his promises is that his promises are great because God is great, right? We serve, we worship a great God. Psalm 145.3 says, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And his greatness is unsearchable. Jeremiah 32.27 says, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too hard for me? And because his promises are rooted in his character, we know some things about his promises. Because here's what we know about God. We know that he remembers the promises that he makes, unlike you and I, right? My kids remember my promises. I do not always remember my promises, right? They're like, Dad, you promised. You said that you were going to do this. Did I? I don't know if I said that, right? That's not how God is. God remembers every promise that he has ever made. And the other thing about God is this, he does not lie. So he cannot make a promise that he does not intend to keep. You know, the question, like, can God ever make a rock that's so big that he can't lift it? No, he can't. Like, that's, that's not a hard question. He doesn't go against his character and who he is. And so in his very nature, God cannot lie. He, he doesn't have the ability to lie. It's not what he can do because he is truth and everything about him is true. And so he does not lie, and he is faithful to deliver every time. There's not one thing that God has said that will not come to pass. There's not one thing that God has uh, told that he would do that he will not perform. He is faithful to deliver every single time. And so God is great, and his promises address great issues. Psalm 27, 13 says, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. We have this picture of the goodness of God through his promises. And so that's what we want to do uh, this, this, in this series this summer is looking at the promises of who God is so that we would know where those life jackets are, that we would know where the, the help comes from, where, the, um, where our hope is founded, where that is. And so we're calling this morning, the very first promise that we're looking at is right here. It's this, is that God is always with me. God is always with me. And we're going to see this 
illustrated to us, shown to us in the Psalm of David, which is Psalm 139. And this is perhaps one of the most personal and intimate psalms that we have in the entire Psalter. The psalmist here, David, he's expressing not just things that he knows to be true, but things that he has experienced to be true. And there's a difference, isn't there? It's one thing to know some things or to have some knowledge about some things. It's another thing to have experienced and to have walked through situations and experienced these truths to be real. And so David here is not just talking about God being with him, but he's talking about the way that God has been with him and the way that he believes God to be with him in these things. And so here's uh, the big idea that we're going to see this morning. Let me give it to you and then we'll, I'll show it to you in God's word. It's this. It's that because God is always with me, I never need to fear. Because God is always with me, I never need to fear. This first promise that we're looking at directly, directly confronts the fear that you and I might be prone to experience in our life. And we're going to see the way that God's presence actually is the reason why we need never to fear. And so that's where we're going this morning. Let me pray as we open God's word and search it together. Um, would you just pray with me? God, we thank you for the truth of your word. God, we thank you for your good and great promises demonstrated, shown to us throughout these pages. And so, Lord, as we look to you now, as we look to your word, God, I ask that you would teach us, that you would reveal to us what it is that you have for us this morning. God, that you would remind us perhaps of some things that we've forgotten. Lord, that you would teach us some things that maybe we have not yet known or we have not yet experienced ourselves. God, thank you for your promises. Thank you for the way that you have shown yourself to be faithful and true. And so I just pray, not just for this morning, but for over this whole uh, series as we walk through these promises together, God, that you would grow our awe, our worship for you. Lord, that we would give you greater and more glory that you are due. And Lord, I pray that you would teach us now as we turn to your word. In the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right, well, let me, um, let me give you the first, um, the first way that we see God's presence with us, and then I'll show it to you in the text. It's this. We see, the psalmist says, that God's hand is upon me. God's hand is upon me. This is the first way that we see that God is with us always. Let me read and show it to you here. It says, O oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, you know it all together. You hem me in before, behind and before. You lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. God's hand is upon me. I love the language that the psalmist uses here. He says, and again in verse one, you've searched me and known me. See, the thing that I love about God's knowledge of us is it is not just this sort of stats and figures, uh, kind of, you know, the uh, facts about our life. Um, God's knowledge about us is not static and stale. It's dynamic and it's a relational knowledge. It's different than being able to recite the stats off of a baseball card. Right? I don't know if any of you collected baseball cards. I was certainly into that when I was a kid. And some of them, I would like memorize the stats. I knew the ERA. I knew the hits. I knew the runs. I, I could tell you the stats in different. I don't know any of that now. But here's the thing. There was no relational or experienced knowledge in that. That was just sort of some facts about them. That is not the knowledge that God has about us. It's not just the hairs on your head. It's not just the days that you're going to live. It's not just your height, your weight, your whatever. It is who you are. God has searched you and he has known you. It's, it's static or it's, it's dynamic. It's rational, relational. It's not static. It's not sale. He is involved in every aspect of our life. You see it there in verse two. He says, you know, when I sit down, when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. 
You search out my path, my lying down, and are acquainted with all my ways. When I sit, when I rise on my path, my lying down, God knows both our activity and our rest. He sees you when you are awake. He sees you when you are asleep. Unlike Santa Claus, that is not true. It is true of God, right? When you are cleaning the kitchen or wasting time on Facebook, whether you are mowing the grass or driving your car, he sees all of your ways. There is nothing that you do, no thought that you have, no word that you speak that he does not see and he does not know. Look at what it says in verse four. Even before you speak, he knows what you're going to say. Before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. Before you say those words that you are going to say, he knows that you are going to say them. Man, I wish I had a little bit more knowledge of that. I don't even know some of the words I'm going to say before I said them. That would save me a whole lot of trouble if I was... uh, If I knew more of the words that I was going to say, how many times have I said things that I wish that I hadn't said or said them in a tone that I wish I hadn't said or just not said them all together. But God knows. He knows what you're going to say before you even speak it. And then in verse 5, he knows who you are and he's present and working in your life. Look at this. You hem me in behind and before and you lay your hand upon me. See, God doesn't just know us from the outside or from afar. He sees the very depth of your soul. He's with you and he's present and he's working. And what's the response that David has? Verse six shows it to us. It says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain it. David is staggered by the knowledge that God has of him. Why? Well, because it's one thing to be known, it's another thing to be known and loved. See what verse five says. It says, you hem me in behind and before and you lay your hand upon me. You see what David has experienced, his his experiential knowledge of God is this, is that God's hand, even knowing all that he has said, done, thinks, and is going to do, his hand is still upon him. He hems him And he is staggered by this knowledge. It is high. I cannot attain it, he says. And I think one thing that we have to be super careful about is that we do not grow too familiar and, and thus unshaken by who our God is. You see, a right understanding of God leads us to a greater awe of him. That is one of the aspects, one of the hopes that we have for this series is that in going through and seeing the character of who God is, that we would have a greater awe and a greater worship of who he is. And so I just ask you this morning, do you have a great awe, a great wonder about who our God is? That same trip that I mentioned before uh, when we were on it, one of the top 10 coolest moments of my entire life um, was one of the days there we were at dinner and, and somebody kind of quietly said, they said, hey, there's some dolphins like swimming by the ship. And so we were under full sail. We were kind of just cruising through the water. And so Bree and I ran up um, to the deck and we got down. There's actually these nets that you could crawl on. So we're like seating, sitting out on these nets and underneath us, the water is just passing through and these dolphins are like coming up and surfacing. I've got video I can show you later if you want to see it. It was by far one of the coolest things I've ever seen. But you know what I remember about that moment was this, is I looked up, remember the Ukrainian captain I told you about earlier? Well, that captain was sitting up at the edge of the, 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 on the, on the deck and he was looking over and seeing these dolphins and he did not have a furled brow. His arms were not crossed. He was pumped. Like he was so excited about these dolphins. He had his phone out. He was taking pictures. He was just grinning. And I mean, this was like this gruff sort of bulldog guy. And he was so excited about these dolphins. And I just remember this picture and thinking, man, this guy has spent like his entire adult life on the water. This is not his first time seeing dolphins. And yet here he was so ecstatic and so excited about this moment that he was sharing with these just beautiful, like the the, the way that these creatures were swimming and, and, and the way that it was all, it was just so cool to see it unfolding. 
And I wonder, are we the same way when we encounter these moments, when we get reminded, when we see glimpses of God and his greatness? Would we be like this Ukrainian captain that we would never grow too familiar with it, that it would move us toward awe, that it would move us toward worship, that it would bring us to the place we need to guard diligently in our hearts against a callousness in our understanding of God? And so let me just pause and say this. If we, as we approach these promises, you're like, oh yeah, I know that. That should be a check in our spirit. That we wouldn't grow callous to understanding that we know God. Teach me afresh. Show me anew. That's been my prayer for us in this series. That we would be reminded of things that maybe we've forgotten or that have failed to bring us to awe. And that we would be taught maybe some new things about God that we maybe haven't known in this way or in this context. I think it's so easy for us to come in and to sit down and to have our pen out and to take our notes and we read these verses and we see the way that God sees us and we're like, got it, cool, great. But what I would say is that if we see this and that's the only response that we have, I would lovingly tell you that we don't got it, all right? We don't get it if that is all that we respond. It should move us to worship, it should move us to awe. David here is blown away by this truth of God. So let me say it again. God knows you and his hand is upon you. That should stagger us. He says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. It's almost so much that you get the sense that he wants to flee from it. Look where he goes next. Look at verse seven. He says, where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. Here is the second thing that we see about God's presence that David confesses and understands. Not only is God's hand upon me, but God's presence is with me. God's presence is with me. He asks these questions, right? Where shall I go from your spirit? Question one. Question two, where shall I flee from your presence? These questions are rhetorical. Right? We know the answer. The answer is nowhere. There is nowhere that you can go that you're going to flee from God's spirit, where you can flee from his presence. There is nowhere that you can go. Why? Because anywhere that you go, God is there. He is everywhere. He is all places at all times in his total presence and being. It says there, if I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. He's talking about high, low, right? Up in the heavens, down below the earth. God, you are there. He says, if I take the wings of the morning, that is a fancy way of talking about the dawn, right? Where does the sun rise? Everyone say east. East, yes, okay, just helping you out. Just don't, don't want you to be embarrassed. Uh, if I take the wings of the morning, he's talking about east, right? And he's there dwelling in Jerusalem. So the sea would have been to the west. Everyone say west. West, okay, we got it. East and west. He's like, if I go to the east, if I go to the west, he's like, you are there. Even there, your hand shall leave me. Your right hand shall hold me. There is nowhere that I can flee. There is nowhere that I can run that your presence is not already there. Jonah, the prophet, surely knew this psalm as he ran from the presence of God. Do you remember that? God called to him and said, hey, Jonah, I got a job for you. I need you to go to the people of Nineveh. Tell them, reveal to them your sin, their sin. Tell them about this great God that you know. And he's like, yeah, I'm not doing that. And he got on a ship to go to the furthest place. He knew this psalm. He knew this truth, but yet... We know this psalm and we forget this. God's presence is with me. Anywhere I go, God is there. Not just there, but he's there, present, and working. That's what verse 10 is talking about. He says, there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. God is there, he's present, and he's working. I remember the very first time I had the opportunity to go overseas 
uh, to a different country, to a different continent. It was actually to the uh, country of Estonia. And I remember one of the things that was just so encouraging, so overwhelmingly powerful in my time there was to see and be with other believers who are worshiping this very same God that we are here worshiping this morning. They were reading the same Bible that we are here studying this morning, the same scriptures. And God was present and he was working even there. I had the opportunity, I've now been to, I think, four different continents and worshipped with Christians on each one of those continents. And I can tell you this, that God's presence is just as powerful and just as present there in each of those places. He is working all over this world. There is nowhere that we can go that he is not there. So certainly in our lives, in our day-to-day Opportunities when we are at the store, when we are in our house, when we are at work, when we are out and about, God is there and he's present and he's working. I think it's at this point that we should maybe answer a question that may have arisen in your mind. It's this, is that, well, is God's presence, is he always there? Is he always working? Is it always the same for everybody? Is God really always with me? Well, in one way, yes, and in one way, no. The theological term that we use when we're talking about the presence of God is his omnipresence, right? That comes from the Latin word, which means all here. God is all here. And when we talk about God's omnipresence, we talk about his total presence in all places at all times in his fullness. He is everywhere, God is omnipresent. This is made clear throughout Scripture. We don't have time to go through all of the places, but you can see it throughout there. And the Bible teaches us a lot about the omnipresence of God. We understand that from Scripture that God is fully present in all places at all times. His infinite transcends the limitations of space. He's not bound to space like you and I. And so with this truth, there is nowhere that you and I can go that we will, not escape, that we will escape the full presence of God. Jeremiah 23, 23 and 24 says, Am I a God at hand, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? Can man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord? God is everywhere. But you would probably acknowledge that at times, God feels more present than other times. When we talk about this, what we're talking is not about his omnipresence. We're talking about his manifest presence. And I believe this, that God works in different places in different ways. And so, yes, in one sense, God is always with me. But in another sense, God is not always with me. Okay, he's not always working in my life in the exact same way. Why? Well, there are things that we can do, that we can choose which will limit the manifest presence of God, which with he chooses to withhold some of his working and some of his presence in our life. Now, let's be clear. He's still there. He's just as much there, but he's not working in the same way. What are the things that you and I can do that would limit his presence and power in our life? Well, we see there's many places that we could go, but we see this, that when we're proud, it limits his presence and working in our life. Pride pushes away God. Why? Well, pride in its very nature says that I don't need God, that I am sufficient in and of myself. We see even the first sin was rooted in pride, this desire to be like God, to have the knowledge of God. And so pride pushes away and hinders the presence of God. The way that God walked with Adam and Eve in the garden was broken by the sin of pride. And so when we're proud, God is not with us in the same way. When we act in ungodly ways, or as the Bible says, worldly, when we choose the things that are not of God, when we choose unrighteous things, His presence is not there and is not working in the same way. When we are rebellious, when we knowingly choose to do things that he has said not to do, or we fail to do the things that he has said to do, God's presence is not there and working in the same way. And the biggest one that I would say that we see in Scripture is this, is that when we hold on to unrepentant sin in our life, when we harbor sin, 
knowing that it's wrong and choosing not to do anything about it, this is when God's presence is not there and not working in the same way. So just to be super clear, God is always with us. He is always there, but he chooses to not work in the same way at all times because of some of the things that you and I choose. Why? Because he's clearly told us. He's called us out of these things. So when we harbor sin, when we hold on to sin, when we hang on to unrepentant sin in our life, that relationship, that experiential presence of God is broken. Why? Because that sin has caused that rift. But let's be very clear about what God's word has said. He says, as far as the east is from the west, so far as I removed your transgressions from you. If you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so if you are in a place and you find yourself where you feel like the presence of God is far away and you survey your life, maybe even this morning, you look at your week, you look at your month, you look at the choices you've made, it feels like God is far off. I would say, is one of these things present in your life? Is there pride? Is there an arrogance and a, and a, and a puffing up of yourself, thinking highly of yourself, more highly than you ought? Is there a worldliness? Is there an unrighteousness in your actions? Is there unrepentant sin where you know it's wrong? Are you acting rebelliously? Because if there is, you have but to turn and to repent and to confess and he will forgive. He's faithful and just and will forgive you and his presence is right there. So many times it feels like God is so far off. But yet, I'm sure you've experienced this. If you've ever repented, you turn around and you find that he is right there. He doesn't go anywhere. We often run from him. And I think we're reminded by this in verse 11 and 12 that the dark is not too dark for God. He says, if surely, if I say surely the darkness shall cover me and the light shall be about me, be night. He says, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. Listen, let me be very clear. You are never too far gone that God cannot redeem and work and restore you in a right relationship with you. His word is clear on this matter. It is not a questionable truth. It is not something that we doubt or fear. God has made a way through his son, Jesus Christ. Right? The experience that you and I have with God is because he already did perfectly, which you and I are unable to do. And so let's be clear about that, is that yes, our decisions have consequences. Yes, our decisions matter. But God has made a way that we can find freedom, that we can find forgiveness, that we can find hope, that we can find healing, that that relationship can be restored. And it's in the person and the power and the working of Jesus Christ on the cross. That is what is made amply clear here. And when the psalmist talks here about this light and dark, both there are two meanings that are at work. Certainly there's the physical understanding of light and dark. Darkness is a super uh, real problem for us, right? In, in order for any sort of technology to work, we really need some light, right? We need like an LCD screen, the knobs on a car. Yeah, I mean, think about it. You can't even, if you were to go out at night and try and use a shovel, you can't even use a basic shovel without some sort of light, which just for the record, if you're using a shovel in the dark, there's probably not a great reason for that. I just, I don't know what your reason would be. I'm sure there's a great one, but um, you know, we need light to use and do to accomplish anything that we would do, but the dark is not prohibiting to God. All right. The darkness of our lives, the darkness that we experience, it is not a prohibiting factor on God. But figuratively, we understand this, this meaning of light and darkness. We walk through times in our lives that, from our perspective, are dark. And it's bleak, and it's grim, and we can't see what is coming, what is next. They are confusing, discouraging, painful. We can describe some of our days as dark, but let's be clear is that those days are not dark for God. It says, even the darkness is not dark to you. 
We hope that most of our days are spent in the light when things make sense, when there's an underlying sense of joy. But what David is saying is that God is present in both. Whether you are living in a time in the light and everything makes sense and you can see clearly what God is doing, or you might be in a place that you would call the dark by your own choosing or by the choosing or results of others' actions, You might be in a place that is dark, but let's be clear, God's presence is still there. He is still working in that place. He has not abandoned you. He has not left you. His hand is still upon you. And so what do we do? Well, we respond to God. When we're proud, we humble ourselves. When we're ungodly, we recognize the influence around us and where we are getting our truth, where we are getting instruction, what things are leading us. When we are rebellious, we repent and we return to God. When we are holding on to unrepentant sin, we stop, we repent, we ask forgiveness, we get help, and we recognize that God is faithful to forgive. In every situation, God is present. God surrounds you at all times, in all places. He is there. Let's continue. Let's see what he says in verse 13. It says, For you formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. Here's the third way that we see God's presence in our life, that he is always with us. It's this, is that God's purposes are for me. His hand is upon me, his presence is with me, and his purposes are for me. Many of us know these verses, we're familiar with them, but seeing them in context, it gives so much more meaning to them, does it not? When you read in verse 13, when it says, you formed my inward parts, you knit me together in my mother's womb. What a miracle, what a miracle, uh, the process of uh, uh, being pregnant and giving birth to a child is. We have been so blessed as a church. We've had many um, new babies that have joined uh, with our church, and we have more on the way. I love it. My wife loves it even more. I love that she loves it because the days of babies in our house is over, and so she um, is so excited that COVID's over, and she can go back to like visiting hospitals and holding babies and, and all of that. She's here for all of it. But the whole miracle of pregnancy and childbirth is Incredible. Like there's so much that we don't understand and we don't know about that process and how it all works. And here's the thing that we see straight from scripture is that God is intimately involved with that. It says, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. The truth of this psalm is this, is that God from the before you were even born was present and working in your very making, in your coming to be. In the womb, he was present and working. And the more that we study the human body, the more that it underscores this a thousandfold is that this is a miracle. God knows us because he made us. And in the same way that a painter knows his painting or an artist knows his sculpture, God is intimately aware of everything that we are. All of our quirks, all of our intricacies, all the things about us, God knows all of that. This is a really uh, sort of, it just, I feel like I'm taking a major step down with this illustration, but I feel like it, it kind of helps because um, uh, if you've ever sold a home, you, you know this experience. Um, when you're going to sell that home, you, you kind of know, if you've, especially if you've lived there for a while, you know just about everything about that home, right? 
And I remember when we sold our home before moving up here to Madison, we were in that home for a few years and we had worked on different projects and all sorts of things around the house. When the inspection report came back, when it was time to sell it, there was not one thing that was on that inspection report that I was surprised about. Like I knew about the leaky faucet, right? I knew about the crack in that. I knew about the, like I knew about every single one. I was like, yeah, I know, I know, I know, right? I knew about each and every one of those parts. Why? Because I had been working on the house all over the place, in every crevice and corner, up in the attic, down in the basement. I knew it all because it is our home. We were working on it. We were there and involved with it. Even more so, God knows each and every part of who we are. And he's known it from before you were even born. God saw your days before you have lived them. He knows the days that are yet to come. And the amazing thing about all of this, right, is that this is implied and understood throughout this psalm, is he not only knows you, but he loves you. He is present and working. He is powerfully there in your life. Every one of them, your book was written, in your book was written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. So where do we see, how do we understand that his purposes are for me? It's right there in verse 17. It says, how precious are your thoughts, O God. These aren't just like generic thoughts about you. When the psalmist used that word thoughts, what it's communicating is plans and purposes and so the things that God thinks about us are not just these generic kind of musings. He's thinking about your purpose and your plan and what he has for your life. And I can say confidently this morning that God has a purpose for your life. He has a purpose for every one of our lives. He made us with purpose. What is that purpose? Ultimately, it's this that we would bring glory to God. He made us for his glory. He made you for his glory. Your greatest joy, your greatest fulfillment, your greatest purpose is found in bringing glory to the one who formed you and made you. How precious are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I'm still with you. David's like, this is almost like a dream, yet it's not a dream. When I wake up, it's still true. God, you know me in this way, and your purposes are for me. Who, oh God, are you that you would regard me in this way? I think we need to be reminded of this, is that God is bigger than us, and his ways are beyond us. And because of that, we need not fear. I said from the beginning that because God is always with us, I need to... I need not fear. You see, I think we have to understand some things about fear. Uh, fear has everything to do with our future. The things that you fear are things that have not yet come, right? You don't fear things that happened in your past. That's like different emotions, different attitudes, right? You might regret some of the things that you've done in your past. Uh, you might be experiencing consequences of things that you um, have experienced in your past, but fear is something that is about the future. It is the things that yet to come. It's not something that's even in the present, right? Because you might be in a present situation and you might have despair over it. You might have disgust. You might be uh, disappointed or discouraged over what you are walking through, but it is not fear. Fear is the future. And so I think we have to take uh, take inventory, take stock of the emotions and the attitudes that we have. God has called us out of and from a place of fear. You see, there's lots of emotions, lots of attitudes that are okay, that come and go, that in the right context, at the right time, are okay. Like, for example, anger. Anger, at times, is okay. We saw that Jesus himself got angry when he was in the temple. He was, it was a righteous anger over God's glory. Oftentimes, that's not the anger that you and I experienced. Let's just be clear about that. But every once in a while, it is. Sometimes we are angered over the injustice that we see around us or over the lack of awe and glory that's given to our God. We might be angry over some of those things. And in those situations, it would be right. It would be acceptable. It would be good. Grief is another emotion that comes and goes. We might feel and experience grief when a loved one passes away, when a situation 
comes to an end, when we have to say goodbye to a good friend, whatever it might be, we feel grief. And in those moments, at that time, grief is okay. Now, grief forever, throughout the rest of our life, would at some point, it would cross and become inappropriate or unhelpful, right? We grieve for a time, and then the time for grieving comes to an end, and that's different. I'm not trying to put a timeline on exactly when or how that looks. I'm just saying that there are times for grieving and times when the grieving should end. Even doubt is okay sometimes, right? Like you might make a decision and then you think back on it, you're like, ah, was that the right decision? And you might doubt or you hear some truth, you hear some facts, you hear something given and you doubt the validity of it or how helpful that is or what that is. There's times when doubt is okay. Why do I bring all of this up? Well, anger, doubt, grief, Those are attitudes, emotions that we feel they're okay in the right context at the right time. Here's what we have to understand, church. Fear is never the right response in the life of the believer. There is never the right time that we should fear. Why? How many times did Jesus say, fear not, fear not, fear not? Fear is addressed hundreds and hundreds of times throughout Scripture. We are called to not fear to never fear. Why? Because fear is an uncertainty and a worry about things that are yet to come. Why, as a believer, can we not fear? Well, because we know this, that God is present and that he is with me and he is working and he has the future in his hand. And so therefore, we have need not fear about it. When we fear, we are taking that future out of God's hands and into our own and starting to worry and wonder and get stressed about that. It's the opposite of what God has called us to do. Look what he says here, though. He says, he says, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them. The days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. God knows our future before we live it. And because God is with us, and because God knows our future, and because God is working through it, we need not fear. What are we called to instead? We're called to faith. And one way of understanding faith is this, is that the things that we, I heard a pastor say this years ago, I think this is super helpful. The things that we believe today oftentimes are not experienced today. They're going to be experienced tomorrow, right? And so the things that we believe today are not experienced today. They're experienced tomorrow. Now, tomorrow might not be just tomorrow. It might be in a week, might be in a year, might be in 10 years. It might be in our eternity. But the faith that we have to move from this place of believing today and experiencing someday, that is faith. In this place, if we are in this place of belief and we We stand here in fear about, am I going to experience this? Is this going to be? Or how is God going to work this out? This is where fear exists. This is not faith. But listen, church, we've been called because of God and in his presence and in his working to have not fear, but to have faith. And so we can believe these promises today, knowing that someday, maybe tomorrow, maybe next week, maybe in a year, Maybe at the end of our life, when we are in eternity with him, we will see and know that what he has said is true. That is what faith is. That is what we are called to. And we have not fear because of God and who he is. Let me give you a couple verses. You can write down these references. Hebrews 13, 5, it says, Keep your life free from the love of money. Be content with what you have. Why is, the, why is he talking about money? Why is he talking about tetment? Well, it has everything to do with the fear that we might have. He says, I will never leave or forsake you. God has said, I will never leave nor forsake you. Therefore, we have not fear for what might come. Deuteronomy 31.6 says this, Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them. For it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. What I believe today, I will experience tomorrow. Faith is holding on in the waiting. What I would say to you is this, let me just be super clear about this, is that if you don't know Jesus as your savior, as your savior, you might have much to be afraid of. And I just wanna be clear that you are right Apart from God and his presence and his power and his saving work, 
there is some things to fear. God's word is clear about that. I do you no good if I tell you that you have nothing to fear. If God is not your savior, then you do have some things to fear. Why? Because it's all on you. And God has been clear about it, is that you are unable to do it. You, in your own striving, in your own working, in your own measure, are not going to be able to get done what needs to get done. But the gospel teaches us the opposite. It teaches us this, is that God has already accomplished that which we need him to do. This is the good news of Jesus Christ on the cross. He has purchased for us freedom from our sin, forgiveness from our sin. And he wants to restore and make our life new through a belief in following him. We have but to receive that which he has already accomplished. And so I can say with confidence, church, if you are here and Jesus is your savior, there is nothing that you have to fear. As we sing in the song, right, in Christ alone, we say, no guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. So we have no guilt for this life now. There is nothing that you can do that will take you away from the presence of God, right? Romans 8 is clear about that. Neither death, nor life, no powers, nor demons, nor anything. There's nothing that can take away God's power, his presence, his working in your life. If you have believed upon Jesus as your savior, he is powerfully working. This is the truth of the gospel. And so church, let's do this. In this first promise that we are gonna anchor ourselves to, that we are gonna hold on to, that we are gonna plant our stake in, that we are gonna believe upon and hold tightly to, it's this, is that God is always with me. Because of that, we need not ever fear. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the promises of who you are, the way that you have revealed yourself to us, God, the way that you have worked, and we trust and acknowledge that you are God here today. God, you are not like us. You are not bound by the things that we are bound by, you are not limited by the things that we are limited by, but God, you are over and working in all things. And so God, we thank you for the truth this morning. God, we thank you for this powerful reminder, God, that you are present and you are powerful and you are working in whatever situation we find ourselves in. God, we can say with confidence today that you are here with us. And so we wanna to respond to you God, we want to acknowledge where we have fallen short of your glory, where maybe we have held on to sin and it has broken and fractured that relationship. God, we know that we find forgiveness, we find freedom in the accomplished work of your son Christ upon the cross. God, thank you for that truth. Thank you that you welcome us. God, you welcome us as a father with open arms. Lord, into your presence and into relationship again. God, we hold on to this. We find great joy, great encouragement. God, great hope in this truth that you are present and you are working. God, thank you for being with us even this morning, even right now. God, you are here. So we declare that. We believe that. And God, we give you praise and glory and honor because you are due. God, we worship you in the light of this truth. Amen.